You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Our scripture reading tonight is from 2 Kings verses 1 through 19. If you want to take a moment and find that in your Bible or on your device, once again, that's 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 19. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor. Because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria? He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's home. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored." And you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Can I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all of his company. And he came and stood before him. And he said, behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive none. 
And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, Go in peace. This is the word of God for the people of God. So we are looking at the Jesus Storybook Bible, and um, we're doing that because uh, humans are storytelling animals. Um, As one author put it, um, that is how we form our identity. We tell stories about ourselves. Um, It's a story that you're telling yourself about yourself that makes you who you are. And that story that we tell ourselves is always set in the context of a much larger story, the story of reality, the story of the universe. And every human being, whether they're an atheist um, or Buddhist or Christian, every human being has a story they're telling themselves about themselves, but also about the universe. It's uh, something you can't escape from. There is no one who lives without a story. And so in the storybook Bible, the Jesus story, it's a very clear depiction of the story. Um, It's not just for kids. And it shows that every part of the story always points back to Jesus, that he is the center of the whole story. The whole story points to him and then refers back to him. He's the central figure in the story. And the basic plot of the story, as I keep saying, is that God made us in his image. He put us, just man and woman, Adam and Eve, in the garden. Uh, He put us in the garden to have a lot of children and spread around the earth. And in doing so, to spread dominion. Which meant that we were supposed to reflect God, who made... Um, order and beauty out of chaos. He turned nothingness uh, into beauty. And so we are supposed to do the same thing. We're to arrange the material world that is chaotic, um, that uh, has no form to it, and we're supposed to make that into things. So we're supposed to reflect the creator. That's dominion. But instead, we spread domination as we uh, decided not to reflect God, but to be the one who is the center of attention. And we then claimed to own the things that we made. And we uh, seized um, all of the creation. And we used it and exploited it instead of dominion. So the, the rescue plan is that God creates a family. And this starts in Genesis 12. And he creates this one family. And this is called the secret rescue plan in the storybook Bible. And this family is a family that's going to get the dominion back. Uh, We're going to get back uh, gardens instead of devastation. In blighted areas, uh, this this secret rescue plan family is going to bring gardens. Uh, There are these neighborhoods in Detroit that are famous called agri-hoods, where 1,400 of them have been built already, where they take what was formerly uh, a deserted uh, city block, urban city block that's been completely destroyed, and they create a garden out of it. And that's in many ways what the... The family of God is doing, we're taking rubble and we are restoring order and beauty to it. And so um, God chooses this family based on Abraham and Sarah who have no name. Um, they have no children. Uh, they are they're a barren couple. They're very old. And so uh, they, have, they have really nothing to offer. And that's why God chooses them, a family 
uh, that, is, that is powerless and helpless. And they're the ones that are going to spread uh, the healing to bring the dominion back. So that's the, that's the story. And in this story, uh, we have a, a great example of the family who is a, a girl that is not named, a servant girl from Israel. And she is the heroine of this story. And uh, in many ways, this story epitomizes the story of the family of Israel, the children of Abraham. She's, a, she's definitely a daughter of Sarah. Um, and we don't know her name. Uh, that's a very intentional part of the story is that the author will not give us her name. So I want to contrast her uh, with this general named Naaman, who is given a name in contrast to the real hero of the story who has no name. And Naaman is proud, whereas she is humble. Um, he, he, he is someone who is trying to make a name for himself, as we did at the Tower of Babel, versus uh, God made a name for Abraham, which is the same thing as the servant girl. So let's start with the general. Verse 1, Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master and was in high favor. And I love how the storybook Bible puts this. Uh, this is what Sally Lloyd-Jones writes. He was a very important general and a very important army and a very important country. So he was very, very, very important. Uh, he was uh, this army uh, of Syria, which is a much bigger country than Israel. Uh, he was a general in that army. Uh, he was very important, but he had a huge problem. Um, and this is kind of the dramatic center of the story. It says in verse 1, he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Uh, he had leprosy. And if you know what leprosy is, it means that uh, you can't feel anything anymore uh, in your extremities, in your fingers and toes. Neuropathy occurs. And so you, because you can't feel anything, you start hitting it up against things, and it just begins to get worn away. And, uh, and so leprosy was considered, you were considered unclean if you had leprosy. And you were excluded from uh, society. And so Naaman, although he was powerful, and although he was a general, he had leprosy. And yet he remained proud in spite of that. And the interesting thing that Sally Lloyd-Jones does with the storybook Bible is she says that pride was the deeper leprosy. That pride prevented him from feeling things. He couldn't feel things because of his pride. Uh, He couldn't feel emotions. So, for example, again, this is from the storybook Bible. Uh, She has him saying, I will go to the palace where somebody important like me gets healed. And so he went straight to the king of Israel and he said, my healing, please. So he just doesn't really get it. He doesn't feel things right. Um, His pride has dulled uh, his extremities. And the king sends him to Elijah's little house. Elisha is his prophet who lives in a little home. And uh, Nahum is probably very surprised to be directed uh, by the king to this little home, this little hut that the prophet Elisha has. So Naaman goes there expecting red carpet treatment, expecting Elisha to run out and greet him, maybe even bow down before him, prostrate himself before this general. But verse 10 says, Elisha instead, and I thought about um, Yoda teaching Skywalker uh, on Dagobah, the way he kind of taught him humility. This is like one of those teaching moments. Elisha sent a messenger instead of going out to me. He sends a messenger. He doesn't even meet him. And the messenger just says, go wash in the Jordan. Um, so uh, Naaman is offended. Even though the messenger said, if you go wash in the Jordan, you're going to be cleansed of your leprosy. Naaman 
receives, he doesn't feel things right. So he receives that as an insult. He cannot get over his pride, this uh, false self that he has created because of the stories he's told himself about himself. And so verse 11 says, Naaman was angry and says, I thought he would surely come out to me. I thought he would surely come out to me because he was a big man. He was an important man. He was a busy man. Again, the story of the Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones says, Naaman was sicker on the inside than the outside. His heart didn't work properly. He didn't feel anything. He had leprosy of the heart. Even the fact that he was directed to the Jordan River is offensive to him. It says in verse 12, Are not Abna, Abana, and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? And he turned away and went in a rage. Notice again the anger over and over and over again. He cannot get over himself. Um, He is his own worst enemy. He's constantly offended, which I see a lot in our culture today, and I feel a lot. Uh, I just ask you, how often do you feel offended? Um, It's interesting that Naaman is both full of grandiosity and he's got a victim mindset. That's a hard thing to pull off. Only a human could pull off both of those things. That... On the one hand, he feels, uh, you know, he's, he's very arrogant and puffed up. And on the other hand, he's always playing this, this victim card. Like, uh, he's being mistreated all the time. He's the victim of all these people. So, again, the storybook Bible, Naaman says to himself, just wash in that slimy, stinky river. Any person could wash in that river. I'm important. I should do something important for God to heal me. So he's wanting to distinguish himself from anyone else that gets healed. His healing has got to be a unique kind of healing. It's a unique form of pride, the desire to distinguish yourself. And pride is tricky, so uh, it doesn't have to look like a boastful Naaman. Um, In high school, I was not popular. You would not have thought I was proud. I seemed maybe even nice. Uh, I was definitely not cool. And so I tried to distinguish myself in a different way. So my way of distinguishing myself was to uh, take on a persona of kind of the alternative crowd. And in my day, there was something called alternative music. And uh, in alter- like, so I liked R.E.M. Uh, I, I did not like Journey. And I, um, I liked like David Lynch movies. Uh, I, I didn't like, you know, Top Gun, for instance. I was against that. I liked Kurt Vonnegut uh, short stories. I liked um, things that nobody else was liking. And I intentionally liked them because nobody else liked them. If somebody had started liking them, I would stop liking them. If too many people liked the thing, then I would stop because I was trying to be different and unique and uh, alternative. And sadly, it caused me to alienate myself from other people. It started out as like a defense mechanism, then it became a way of actually uh, not being able to feel things right. And I was enjoying... I was kind of luxuriating and feeling misunderstood and ignored and an outsider. And that is a really dangerous form of pride because it looks like uh, humility almost. Even after the healing, uh, Naaman uh, wanted to distinguish himself and show that he was different. Even after he's been healed, even after this helpless man has been healed of a problem that he could never have taken care of himself. Even then... It says, uh, this is from the Storybook Bible, he wanted to pay Elisha. But Elisha said, you don't need to pay. With God, it is all free. And Naaman couldn't really handle that. um, Because he was proud. 
He had to do something. He had to show that he was going to make a name for himself. So he was going to pay for it. So that's the proud general. Now the servant girl uh, is exactly the opposite. I love this line. This is probably my favorite line from the storybook Bible. All Naaman needed was nothing. The one thing he didn't have. All he needed was nothing. The one thing he didn't have. That's exactly what the servant girl has. She knows that uh, she has nothing but God. And that's all she needs. Um, so she's never named. All we know about her is she's a refugee. Uh, that's all we know. And by the way, the Bible has a lot to say about the refugee. Um, just listen to two podcasts. Uh, it's a podcast called Undeceptions by John Dixon. Probably right now the one I'm enjoying the most. And uh, there was one on an Afghan refugee, uh, one on a Syrian refugee. And he just makes the argument that biblically uh, God has a lot of favor on the refugee. And so should God's people. And this is a great example of it. This, uh, this young woman, um, in verse 2, it says, The Syrians on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And a raid was a terrible thing. It was a very violent thing. Um, if you think about the very first scene in The Force Awakens, the, 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 that's the Star Wars movie that made the most money of all of them. And in that very first scene, uh, the stormtroopers arrive in this little village, and Kylo Ren comes out, and they just start shooting everyone in sight and taking anything they wanted. And um, that's basically what happened to her village. It was just ravaged by the empire. The story of the Bible says every night she cried herself to sleep because she had lost everything. So if anybody has the right to be offended and to hate Naaman, it would be her. And yet, uh, when she hears Naaman's wife weeping, in verse 3 it says, She said to her mistress, Would that my lord or with the prophet who was in Samaria. He would cure him of leprosy. So she also has faith in the power of God. Which is amazing given what, given what has happened to her. That she would believe that strongly. That her God, the God of Israel, could heal people. But she was extremely confident. And her heart, unlike Naaman, which couldn't feel. Her heart resonates with her enemy. Deeply. Because she knows he might lose his family. He might also become exiled. Because nobody would want to be with him. Just like she was. And again, the Storybook Bible says, why would she want to help? Shouldn't she have made him want to pay? But instead of hurting him, she forgave him. I mean, just imagine having that kind of compassion. Where people on the other side, your enemy, is people who've hurt you, that you would love them deeply. Um, we have a hard time even getting over just the little political tiffs that we have with each other. We feel like our very person has been offended if somebody disagrees with us politically. I mean, she, this is a lot bigger than that, obviously. Uh, she has every reason to hate the Assyrians, and Nam in particular. But this is the secret rescue plan in operation. This is how God does things. Is he comes into spaces and he takes ground. Because he makes you into a person who can actually shed your hate and your hurt and love your enemy. And notice this is the Old Testament. You probably noticed that. That God didn't get converted and become a Christian. Yahweh always loved his enemies. And Yahweh's people were always called to love their enemies. And this, there is no better story of that than this little gem that we see in the Bible. 
She's just like her Lord, Yahweh. In verse 1 it says, uh, Yahweh had given Naaman victory. And that's a victory even over Israel. It's amazing it would say that God gave Naaman victory. That shows how much God loves Naaman. That God uh, actually was with Naaman. That, that God wanted him to feel again. That God wanted Naaman to be healed. Verse 14 says, He went down, carrying all his pride with him. He dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. I love the little child part. Because it kind of shows you the way this man has changed. Or somewhat changed from kind of a bully to this little child. That's the progression in the kingdom. And notice this is not a one-time offer of grace. It's not like, I'll show you grace now, Naaman, but if you screw up, that's it. I'm going to cut you off. Grace is how we get into the kingdom, and grace is what keeps us walking in the kingdom. You are saved by faith alone, and you are also sanctified by faith alone. And it's always the grace that changes us. And so God shows this man grace over and over and over. And another good example of it is in verse 18, where Naaman uh, kind of wants to worship Yahweh secretly. Like now Yahweh is Naaman's God. He knows that Yahweh healed him. But in verse 18, he's asking more for forgiveness than permission here. He kind of says, when I go to worship my pagan god Rimmon, may the Lord pardon me. So he's already planning to do it, and he's asking for forgiveness in advance. He's kind of like saying, can I worship uh, Yahweh secretly, but keep my persona as a good, upstanding pagan so that nobody will dislike me? And you'd think that Elisha would blast him and say, you ungrateful coward. You know, how could you possibly deny me publicly when I've done this to you? I mean, everybody's going to see that you're healed, and now you're going to deny me and give all the credit to Rimmon? But that's not what... Elisha says, he gives him grace. He just simply says, go in peace. Shalom, shalom, shalom. That's how God treats uh, people who screw up again and again and again. The same grace over and over and over again is what wears us down. It, uh, it melts, the, melts us down. It, t- it heals our spiritual leprosy. So just think about what it would be like to give up on trying to be Distinguished. And to love people deeply. People that you don't like. Um, in 1985, uh, Henry Nouwen uh, was a professor of psychology at Harvard and on top of the world. He was as high as you can get. Um, and he got so sick of the race to become a distinguished professor. And by the way, that is a thing. And I'll, uh, I was wondering what it meant to be a distinguished professor. This is what thebestschools.org said which is a great title for a website. A, a title given to someone um, who is a top tenured professor in a university. So it really doesn't give you much except that they're the top. That they're one of the top. At a, he's the top at a top university. He was so sick of the rat race to be a distinguished professor in a distinguished university that he left it all. He left Harvard. He moved to Canada. And he became a part of a, a community of people with profound special needs. He lived the last 11 years of his life at large community because he wanted to feel things again. He wanted to actually live again and uh, get rid of all that and be able to love his enemy, to be able to love people that were not like him, love profoundly. I was, um, I've been bad-mouthing this neighbor for years, um, 
and uh, really enjoying sharing uh, juicy bits of gossip about him. He's very rude, and so I've gotten to talk to several neighbors about this guy. Um, People in our neighborhood definitely know who he is, and it's been kind of fun hating him, but the fun is gone now because um, there was a snowstorm, you might remember. I think it was in January. might have been December, but... There was a snowstorm. There was one big one this year, and uh, I was in my Honda Pilot SUV hoping that an SUV would get you out of a patch of ice, but alas, mine did not, and I was just spinning my wheels in the ice, and it was just going deeper down into the black um, sludge, and there was stuff shooting around, and uh, I was totally stuck. I could not get out. I was so frustrated. I was cursing in my car. Literally, and then guess who comes out the front door across the street with a shovel? It's this guy, and he's very he's very brusque, and uh, he's very not southern, and he's got this shovel, and he just comes over, and he's like he's like uh, let me let me take that wheel, just just move over, and he starts digging and taking my wheel and like revving the engine. He knows exactly what he's doing. Like pretty soon he's got the car out, and I try to thank him. He doesn't talk to me the whole time. Uh, he's totally uninterested in my gratitude, and he, he gets me out and walks away. And I'm like, how can I, how can I continue to hate this man? Um, and so that is what melts our heart uh, when someone like the, the servant girl, my neighbor, uh, loves us incredibly, shockingly. Uh, someone, you know, have I betrayed this man by... Remember, we love these rascals.